Warning, the Dub Talk podcast contains language and content that may not be suitable for younger audiences. Listener discretion is advised. There will also be spoilers for various anime throughout the course of this episode. Please use caution in case we discuss a series you haven't finished yet. Finally, the opinions expressed are those of the individual participants and may not reflect the Dub Talk podcast as a whole. Enjoy the show! happening dub talk fam it's your girl Gigi, and it's time for another episode of dub talk the podcast where a group of schoolgirls in training get together and talk about the latest and greatest english anime dubs and boy do we have a show for you tonight i'm here with my co-pilots andrew how you doing everybody i just did 20 squats and sit-ups in my giant mech and i'm ready for trauma spaceman hardy do the impossible, break the unbreakable, row, row, fight the power. And I'm on duel. Colonel, I appear to be stuck in some sort of reference-heavy nonsense that a bunch of weaves made. Also, I think they like Top Gun. It's very strange. It's just like one of my Japanese animes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> to review, one of the most wanted OVAs in recent years... In fact, it was desired so much that it was requested to be a patron's choice episode on our show. Yes, I'm sure you're not shocked because I'm here, and we all know that my anime taste lines up with our most esteemed patrons, which means y'all are completely fabulous. And I can say y'all now because I'm three quarters of the way to becoming an official Texan. I know. I'm sorry. I'll I'll say this, though. I... I do know that you do a bunch of the Patreon episodes, but I I feel like there's a story about this one in particular, because I love you, Chi-Chi. Love you so much, girl. <laughs> I never would have assumed 80s Super Robot would be your jam. Is there a story behind that one? There is, and it's scripted in the next paragraph. Perfect! Perfect. And I've come out of hosting retirement. Holy shit. Uh, what was the last I one know. you hosted? I don't know, but the last one I wrote on my Mac was City Hunter the movie. Oh my god. Oh my god. That was like two years ago. I know. Isn't that weird? Um, but I came out because of Marissa Lenti, who requested the brand new dub of the 1988 OVA. Get ready for it. Hold on to your shirts. Now pull! It's aim for the top, Gunbuster. Gunbuster! Gunbuster! Love it. Lenti's pick won the Patreon poll, which is how the request episodes are chosen, starting with this one. Now, if you're in a certain tier of the Dub Talk Patreon, you get to submit a title for voting, and then everybody votes, and the winner gets their own episode. Super democratic! I'm a fan! Gunbuster was just re-released on Blu-ray this year from Discotech Media, and it was highly sought after, as it was heinously out of print in America for almost 20 years. Oh my god. (laughs) We're old. (laughs) It was released sub-only in 2007, but Discotech shined it up in a brand new Blu-ray release and gave it an English dub, which has never happened before, so we're witnessing space history in the making, folks. Who released it sub-only? Was it was it Bandai? 
Um, it was uh, Honamay's from Bandai. Bandai I Visual, yeah. Yep. Okay, it w- we have it. It's so it was it's sitting on the shelf. So it was a few. Was it a few years before they closed up shop and canceled like the Nichi Joe and Gozik releases? Uh, yeah, it was 2007. So okay, that would have been like even. Is, see here, Andrew, this is different. Bandai, you had Bandai, um, Bandai Entertainment, which put out stuff originally in like Haruhi and Lucky Star, and they originally had the Nichi Joe and, and Gosik licenses. That's a different company. Um, you had Bandai Visual and Hani Amaze, who did like really, really expensive sub only um, sets, uh, like. Um, what was it? The Wings of Honey Amaze, Gunbuster. Yeah. yeah. And um, my, my... a few other releases, but they went out pretty quick. They tried to pull yep. the Aniplex model before Aniplex actually pulled it off. So they tried to pull off the Aniplex model before realizing the Aniplex models work because they had modern, desirable shows and not things from 20 years ago. Pretty much. Shocking. Yes. This this might this might you might this is, my understanding is this is basically like the the Bandai's Japanese branch trying to release stuff in the U.S. And yes, you yep. might you, you might be surprised to learn they don't exactly have their thumb on the pulse of what's hot in America. This is where <laughs> that meme of we understand uh, anime fan wants comes from. So mm-hmm. I, I need to preface everybody tonight. This is a whole history science lesson. For me, because these people have been in this game a lot more longer than I have, but I am baby. I am baby, and I am here, and I am like Noriko. I am young, dumb, and maybe in a Sailor Moon cosplay, trying to figure out how all of this works and watching this for the very first time. Well, to be fair, when this came out, you hadn't even been born yet. Oh yeah, yeah, that's five. true. I was I mean, five fair, years old. To be fair, and I'm, yeah. To be fair, I wasn't born. Well, I think I might have existed when the last two episodes came out. In 1989? Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. How Oh my god. How much time was in between these OVAs? Cuz I cuz it seems like at least a few years for a couple of them. Oh there no, was no. It's so like... funny. Are you are you reading my script? <laughs> this anime was made in 1988 and released in 3 volumes. With two episodes each through 1989. I'm going to be honest, I'm not reading your script. I'm just apparently weirdly in sync with you. So we have... I know. So we have, um... We have sortied? Is that how is that how it works? Is, is that how the term goes? We sortied? No. Okay. No. Read your script, Um... Easy. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, Before we dive into the black hole, here's a short recap of this beloved six-episode OVA, which I wrote myself, suck it, my anime (laughs) list. Uh, Noriko is just your typical schoolgirl in the near-distant future of 2023. (laughs) (laughs) Noriko lives her best school day life, you know, hanging out with friends, training in gym class, admiring her senpai Onesama, piloting giant mech robots. Okay, maybe not so typical. A new coach comes to her school, and instead of evaluating girls to start on the tennis team, instead, he is choosing two of the best to go into space and pilot the Gunbuster, the most giant of all giant robots that is going to be used to save humanity from giant aliens who lay their eggs inside of stars, which then incubate and take over galaxies. That is genuinely the most metal thing I've ever heard. It's not cute. 
Uh, Noriko's dad is an admiral who is fighting against these aliens, but he went missing in space six years earlier. So when Coach chooses Noriko as one of the gunbuster pilots, even though she doesn't drive the robot very well, the other girls call out claims of nepotism and bully her. But Noriko has to aim for the top, and this is the story of her saving the world. Now, this anime was made in 1988, like I said, released in three volumes through 1989 and has some pretty prestigious pedigree. Hideki Anno is the director, and even I know who this guy is, <laughs> as he's the brains behind one of the greatest anime franchises of all time, His and Her Circumstances. Ah, <laughs> uh, I saw exactly where you were going with that, and I still laughed. Well played. Never changed, Gigi. <laughs> he's just kidding, weeps. He's the creator of memes and Evangelion, but before Shinji, he told Noriko to get in the robot. And before you're like, Gigi, this does not sound like your jam at all, as Andrew did earlier without any prompting from me. In theory, you would be right, but this is my boyfriend's favorite anime ever. There we go. And he, and he showed it to me before the discotheque release was even announced, and I fell in love with it because it's not just giant robots in space. It's so much more. I'm already starting to cry. Let me hit you with our brand new casting crew list for the dub. Oh man, this I, anime gets me in the feels bad. <laughs> I wanna, I wanna actually add something to the, the. This is actually only the second time I've ever watched Gunbuster, because the first time was when I watched it with Chris at the very first Anime Blues Con in Memphis. Back in, oh my god! Yeah, we uh, we actually that was back in the days of the Destiny Desk Brigade, and we had our own live stream channels, and so we did we set up and we uh, we streamed it to the our live stream channel live with our reactions and everything. So, okay, I gotta know what website was the stream on? Live stream. Oh yeah, that's the that. <laughs> That's the old shit. Mm-hmm. Ah. <laughs> uh, it was the style uh, at the time. Nostalgia back in the day. I love that so much, Hardy. Yeah, he made me watch it. Yeah. And I fell in love with it because it's just... Mm-hmm. It's got so much shoujo in it that I can't fathom it. It's yeah. so good. He he cried um, He cried live on screen at the very end. And we, we I had to give him a hug. So, so... Oh, he cried this time too, watching it again. I think he cries every time. But to be fair, like starting from the end of like halfway through episode five, all the way to the end of episode six, I was ugly crying, sobbing. Like I have tear stains writing notes in my notebook. Like that's how bad it was. So, so, so this is my first time watching this. I can confirm. Amon, is this yours? Yeah. Okay, I've cool. Been, I've been right. familiar with this one for a very long time, but aside from it being made by Gynax, I couldn't really tell you anything about it. Uh, I, was, I, think, I definitely had a period where it's like, I thought this was about robots. Why are all the characters dressed like gymnasts? <laughs> and, yeah. I, it, it's so wild because... If I had to describe what watching Gunbuster is like as somebody in their, like, late 20s... It's it's the equivalent of not having seen Akira, but having seen the Akira bike slide like two dozen times in other media before, kind of sort of knowing where it came from, 
but then watching Akira for the first time, seeing it happen for the first time, and suddenly realizing, oh, that's what that is. No, this is the official first Gainax uh, production that introduced the infamous Gainax pose crossed the, with arms crossed over the chest. Infamous or not, that shit's genuinely cool. They were onto something. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's interesting watching this and just like, wow, this is just like this is like ground zero for just the next fifteen years of shit Gynax made, isn't it? Uh. It really was. Wow, how about that? <laughs> and here's me. I'm like, wow, this is so much like Aim for the Ace, that wonderful shoujo tennis anime. Because <laughs> I don't watch Gynax. Anime. I, I was I was going to ask Gigi, are you an Aim for the Ace fan? Because oh, of course. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I assumed as much. I just didn't want to, you know. I, I wait. I wanted to be sure. Wait, wait. Hold up a second. Uh huh. Is that where aim for the top comes from? A- aim, aim for yes. the top is aim for the ace plus Top Gun. Oh my <laughs> fucking! That's, that's that's why it feels like a sports anime. That's why Coach wears mirror shades. Like <laughs> that is all it is. Holy shit. Okay. Uh, we're going to be learning a lot tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We are. On, on my Twitter, I put up a poll asking if Aim for the Ace was a sports anime, and uh, the the mob has spoken, and they have said yes. So, I mean, a- I said Aim for the Ace. I really meant Gunbuster. <laughs> this is going to happen the entire time. All right. But yes, the lovely people at Discotech and Insert Certain Studio here made a new English dub yes. for this one. Yes, good old Sound Cadence, our lord and saviors, have made a dub for this. Uh, our ADR director was one Marissa Lenti. If you know their other dubbing projects uh, for directing, they have done art and Kageki Shoujo. And this boy is a professional wizard. Along with this boy suffers from crystallization, which is sorely out of print I, from Kuma Holdings. I, Go buy it if you could find it. I want to just take a second to say I love the fact that you called it art and not arte. Which tells me everything. <laughs> Who's... Is it... It's not Arte, it, is it? it? It is pronounced Arte. Arte is a character's name. That, what? <laughs> I did the show on this and I don't remember this at all. <laughs> Whatever. Anyways. It's, it's, it's art to me who doesn't have an accent over the last E. All right. <laughs> Our ADR scriptwriter is Natalie Van Sistine, who's also been the scriptwriter for I'm the Villainous, so I'm teaming the final boss, which I think is the one villainous anime that I like because it has the blonde girl. Um, along with Mobile Suit Gundam, The Winch from Mercury, the second half, and a couple of cuckoos, which I gave them a dubby for last year for the writing. Nice. Um, Andrew has also so nicely pointed out that the, we that I can't talk, that this bro- <laughs> this project has an assistant director uh, in the form of Amberly Connors, who has also done some work on Glepnir, Sleepy Princess in the Demon Castle, and City Hunter Shinjuku Private Eyes, which is the movie. Uh, and then we have some cast members we're going to talk about today. Now, this is not all of the cast. These are just the ones we're going to feature. Um, you guys know, well, maybe you don't since I haven't done an episode in like 35 years since Gunbuster came out. Um, but I don't like to structure my episodes. So I'm going to give you everybody at the front and then we're just going to talk. So you can't skip to your favorite person. Haha, ha. You have to listen to everything. 
The voice of Yuzu Takia, who's Noriko's dad, is Brent Weaver. You may know him from uh, One Piece as Captain Axehand Morgan, who I only know because I just watched the live action. <laughs> uh, Tora from Ushio and Tora, the TV and the OVA. And to- Toji Suzuhara from the Amazon Prime redub of the Ava movies. Another because he lovely. Was, he was the original Suzuhara in the old Evangelion dub. Was he? Yes, so. the the Amazon Prime redub is kind of like a weird cocktail of like all of the Evangelion dubs, but and also like new people too. It's weird. That's the only ones I've seen. So I'm assuming Brett isn't the guy who played Toji who ran away and joined the circus. No, he is not. Re- oh my god, I forgot about that. No, Mildly he is disappointing, but understandable. <laughs> He is not the one who ran away and joined the circus, no. Oh my gosh. We have Smith Torin. Howdy, y'all. Played by Ernesto Jason Lebrecht. He has played Finian in the Black Butler franchise, Midori Takamine in Ensemble Stars, who I get cards of all the time in the game. He's great. He's a little scared. And Dobby in My Hero Academia. We have Reiko Kashiwara, the original Mean Girl, played by Crystal Laporte. She is Frederica in Chaika the Coffin Princess, Mao in The Great Jehi Will Not Be Defeated, and my personal favorite, Baby Shu from Diabolic Lovers. I love You're welcome. I love doing episodes with people and finding out the ways they pronounce things when they haven't seen the show. What? I haven't seen it. What is it? Jahi. Jahi? Ja- Sorry. No. Don't watch it. No, I do this to Amon too. It's nothing personal. I just find it amusing. I haven't watched it. My bad. I barely watched this. No, no, no. You're good. You're good. I'm not trying to be mean. I just think it's funny. There's a typical way you do it, Andrew. If someone, if uh, your co-host mispronounces a name, you go, hey, Gigi, you know I love you, but (laughs) let me put Bob Fedora on. Oh, my God. No. (laughs) Not the Kanye. Not the Kanye. No. It's not the Kanye, it's what it is. It's a the well, well actually. actually. Okay, good. We'll accept the well actually Appreciate and it. not the Kanye. Appreciate it. We have a Tatsumi Tashiro, oh captain, my captain of the big ship, who's played by Bill Jenkins, who is Sebastian in the Overlord series, Keel Lorenz in the Ava movies, and how I know him, the narrator in One Piece. That is some job security. That is some job security, (laughs) let me tell you what. Right? We have Jung Freud, who I have called Ginger Snaps. Great movie. You should go watch it. Played by Alexandra Yastashak. And she has played Silene in Pokemon Hisuian Snow, the ONA. And then she's uncredited in Konosuba Season 2. And that time I got reincarnated as a slime, the Scarlet Bond movie. This is pretty much, other than this Pokemon thing, her only named role. So good job. I love new people. As Koichiro Oda, be my coach. Love you. Yuri on Ice fans never change. We have Bradley Garrett. He is Greymon in Digimon, our war game movie, the new sound cadence dub, Tatsudo Tatsunuma in Tribe 9, and my favorite, second favorite from Blue Lock, Jubei, are you the glam guy? Glam! Perfect. Perfect. 
so good. I love Blue Lock. Baro is my favorite for anyone who's wondering, but Jubei is definitely my number two. Okay, I thought that was your third favorite. I had to work to guess those. No, my no. Jubei is my number two. Baro is my number one. My number three is um, Aaron Dismuke. Chigiri. Yep, Aaron Dismuke. Okay, Aaron Dismuke. Yeah. All right, and finally, our two main characters. We have Kazumi Amano, who's our Ojo slash Onei-sama, depending on how you want to call her. She is played by Melissa Sternenberg, who plays Edenberg in Azure Lane, which, great, awesome. Canon in Galaxy Express 3.9, the Eternal Fantasy movie, and Tiffany Abbott in Rio Rainbow Gate. And while I was looking up their credits, <laughs> I had to laugh because there's a visual novel called Sweet Volley High instead of Sweet Valley High. That is funny. And now I want to play it. That's good shit. And finally, we have our main heroine herself, Noriko Takia, Miss Inazuma Kick, played by Kian Chula King. Right? Did I do it right? You did it right. Thank you. Um, they have played Monica in The Great Cleric and a, and a character known as Servant in A Couple of Cuckoos and Keiko in Kageki Shoujo. Again, this is a newer voice actor we have here, so I'm excited to talk about that. This is... Let's go. More than anything, it is unmistakably, uh, it is uh, Chula's first lead role. Yes, for sure. And those are our people. Those are our characters. Does anybody want to start us off with some thoughts? Or I can start talking. It's up to y'all. My little co-pilots. I was just going to go ahead and shortly say, it is very cool to watch this. But also, uh, one, Marissa Lenti is too powerful and we need to stop enabling them so they can stop shilling their stuff. Ah, Who are we kidding? We love their stuff anyways. I'm just saying I will have fun facts that I got courtesy of the director themselves that I will sprinkle in throughout the entire night. But I will just say, yeah, it's good. It's good, but also good in a way that sounds vintage mm-hmm. and yet modern. Vintage and yes. yet modern. It's Because it's very clear there are some projects in that... This is very much an old thing. Like, it, it's not always a bad thing. I, I'm thinking of the uh, new Urusei Yatsura dub that uh, Sentai and High Dive were doing, where it's very much... I think that dub is very funny, but I think they kind of made a very active choice at some point where it was like, okay, I'm not sure we can authentically recreate the period piece of, like, the 70s and 80s when this took place. So we're not even going to try. And I think that was a right call as far as rule of funny. But when you're dealing with what is a relatively serious mecha drama that's in the future but made in the past, I think the choice of making this sound like a new vintage dub absolutely elevates this to to the stars. To the top, if you will. <laughs> Very much to its uh, benefit. And it's... I can definitely tell that a lot of care went into this. I could believe pressure was put on when it comes to Gunbuster being one of the most iconic, like, legendary mecha titles of all time. And you know what? They made they met the assignment. They fucking delivered. 
Yeah, uh, I say the Marissa Lepti is... and their team delivered. Yeah, I say the acting is really good. Um, it's a whole. If this had been dubbed back in '88 or '89, the quality of the acting would not have been this high. Because now that we're in the 2020s and dubbing has come so far, uh, there's sort of this need to just go beyond and and improve and and uh, and deliver an absolutely per- polished product. Um, there was a time. If I had any complaints, it's that the audio it might be a bit too clean in comparison to the obvious vintage video. But that's not a bad thing to have because the acting is on point, the video, the audio quality is as good as it can be, and um, I think all in all, it's it's a very solid production. I agree, like, and I thought I had put her on my list, but I guess I didn't, so I will apologize profusely to Lisa Ortiz. Okay, good. I was literally looking at yeah. this list, and I was like, wait a second, did we, did you not add Lisa Ortiz? I guess I forgot, <laughs> um, but- She turns she into a like, MILF at the end of the show, how dare I, you? I know, I'm sorry, but she plays Noriko's best friend, and Noriko's best friend stands the test of time, um, and the one- she played back in the, I want to say late 90s, early 2000s, maybe, Lena Inverse in Slayers, which when I asked Chris, I was like, you know, you, you guys know him. He doesn't talk a whole lot. But I was like, so what parts of this did you really like? And the first thing he said was, it sounds vintage, but it also sounds new. And I was like, well, can you explain? And he said, well, Lisa Ortiz, so it sounds like Lisa Lena Inverse in, in Slayers. And I was like, oh, yeah, I get it. And her voice as Noriko's best friend does have like this cartoony quality to it that the dubs back in the late 90s and the early 2000s had that you don't hear all that often unless it's in like some big over the top series now like I don't know if you listen to like I'm not going to call out one piece but I'm going to call out one piece because we were just talking about it it's a little more cartoony sounding but like I don't know like just the tone in that voice but when it um, it sounds like a silly 90s best friend yeah yeah when the character grows up she sounds completely like more mature and it's a it's the same person playing her but it's a such a different performance and you can like feel like the 30 years oops that just lifted up over there i just smacked myself on my printer because you know i'm a pro um, the character's name is Kimiko Higuchi, if you want a name, and also for the editor to literally just stitch their uh, name and and Lisa Ortiz in the corner over there. Perfect. Would appreciate. But yeah, no, it does have a very vintage sound to it, and it's it's great in that way because it makes you pay attention, and especially since so many of the voice actors are newer Um, because I believe at this point when Bradley even when the coach Bradley Gareth was doing it like he hadn't been cast in a lot of things yet and now he's blowing up everywhere Bradley is definitely somebody I think I recognized him briefly from Tribe 9 because I remembered he's one of like the biker characters he's got a pompadour and all that but I remembered, mm-hmm. like, that was, like, the one thing I knew. 
but ever since the cast for Gunbuster came out and the stuff's come out, he's definitely got in a couple of notable, pretty big roles since he moved to the uh, Dallas Spear. And I believe at... I believe originally Chula was from Florida when this was recorded, and I think now she is in Dallas herself. I think so, too. I believe they moved. Um, But yeah, no, you guys are all right. It sounds really good. The writing is on point here. Uh, I watched it with the subtitles on, as I do for (laughs) everything. And it's pretty close to the Japanese version Although I will say this, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but there are a few lines in the sub that were written that foreshadow um, a certain relationship, let's say, and they're completely omitted from the dub. And so I was like, are we really keeping this a secret for the whole show? Are we doing this? Like no clues? Like that's pretty genius. But because when I saw it the first time, uh, coach's relationship let's just say I was I was I screamed I was so happy I was like oh my god and I was like bawling let's, so let's like, just oh, say this is so let, good. they made the choice for that when it happens it smacks you in the face hmm <laughs> yeah you know don't feel don't feel that good about that one actually gotta say gonna, yeah a little a little shaky on that one. Oh well Uh, You live and you learn. Except Coach. Well, to be fair, it only lasted a few months. That's true. But we did get some cute wedding photos out of it. They were cute wedding photos and all that. Oh, yeah, by the way, spoilers for the entirety of the Gunbuster show. Uh, Did we not say that at the beginning? We did say that. I feel like like if you're entering something that is only three hours long, like, yeah, we're going to talk about the whole thing. I mean, you never know. Anyways, our goal is not to have a three-hour-long podcast. No, I mean, I mean, Gunbusters under three hours. Yeah, Gunbusters like three hours long. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Like, I don't think we'll talk for that long, but like, it's it. This program can be watched in about like two hours and change if you really want to. It's not a lengthy pro. Just go watch it. I mean, go, you can pay, watch pay it your, in two hours. Pay your twenty-five hour. fucking dollars and watch it. Okay, you can watch it in two <laughs> hours if you skip the science lessons. But why the fuck would you do that? Why you? would what you are do you? that? Are you? Those are hysterical. Andrew, what are you, a communist? Don't do that. It's an American. <laughs> don't don't oh. skip the science lessons. Only villains do that. You won't, Be a... you, won't, you won't you won't if you do that, you won't get the funniest gag in the entire show. Uh, Speaking of communists, I would like to uh, comment on our uh, our Russian character. Um <laughs> Okay, y- young Freud. <laughs> young, young Freud. <laughs> you. Okay, so please, please go with your comments. I'm curious what your comments will be. Uh, I am not familiar with Alexandra's past work. Um, I know that she hasn't done much, uh, but she plays this character with an accent. Um, and the Russian accent is something that many actors struggle with but i appreciate that it's only a slight russian accent and she didn't go full on boris and natasha moose and squirrel um (laughs) with her performance thank you i'm glad you brought it up so i didn't have to (laughs) because i know you're very particular about accents Gigi. 
I am super particular about accents and I had no problems with this one. It felt very natural to me. Um, there were some parts where it felt like it was floating in and out, which to be fair, like it happens. I'm okay with it. But I thought the you lines that the, were the funniest were when she was speaking like straight up Russian, like in the middle of the hallway when she was like, and I like lost my shit. Oh. And I was like, that's funny. Okay, before we continue, I just have to say, uh, Alexandra, delightful. She absolutely gets what is basically the sort of snuck, stuck up, fiery, red-headed rival, which, oh my god, this is the fucking, this is ground zero for the hot-blooded, redhead rival girl in all of these mecha shows. This is prototype Asuka Langley Soryu. This is prototype Yoko Littner. This was the origin. Jung, Fr- Jung Freud. Young Freud Freud. was ground zero for all of that, and I am so embarrassed to say that, god damn it, she's really fucking hot. I have a a pitch line for you people out there on why to watch Gumbuster. Do you theoretically enjoy Asuka but have a problem with the fact that she's a huge bitch? Well, here's Young Freud. All the fun parts, much better personality. Also, she is topless at least twice, and you know what? Cool. <laughs> I was kind of embarrassed by how hot she was. I was like, oh no. Oh no, she's fucking hot. Were you like oh Squidward at that moment? Oh no, she's hot! She's really got it going for her, and she's just very... Like, she's kind of a hot-blooded rival, but she's actually, like, a really cool character, too, and interesting. But also, she antagonizes Amino and is like, Yo, introduce me to your to your coach. He's so hot. How old is he? Yo, give me his number. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I know I said Reiko was, like, the original mean girl, but I think Yoon kind of makes the word frenemy happen because mm. at the beginning there's such this rivalry between her and Noriko and then at the end she just wants to be with them together and to you know spend maybe their la- well definitely their last mission their last moments together and I was like that friendship has somehow grown in the span of however long it was in space years as opposed to their time and there's a lot of time sci-fi stuff there is in this there is a wibbly lot wobbly. of timely yeah exactly wibbly wobbly wibbly wobbly timely wimely yeah so, a, um, a a sidebar but a thing a thing i enjoyed about watching this and also from listening to the commentary that um jonathan clements did it is i always forget how much 80s anime nerds were also like just like like sci-fi literature nerds too, and there's this there's this whole like just literary canon that most weebs don't think about anymore that we're all like oh oh yes yes we've all read the Forever War we understand this, like there is something about this like this isn't just like nerdy, this is dorky, this is a level of like attention to detail about, like, what these theoretical fake science concepts would be. They created a guy and created a theory about a fake guy, about time dilation, about how much time 
changes in the slipstream and all that, and also, like, the diameters of how high the gunbuster is compared to the aliens in Tokyo Tower, and, like, all that dorky, juicy level of flavor text that you can tell, like, that exact type of person is salivating over. And, Andrew, that guy is named after a throwaway line in Blade Runner. That's... That's incredible, but Tan, also Tan, I believe Tan, the, the, the Tannhauser Gates is a thing Rucker Hauer mentions during that speech in the rain while he's dying. Incredible. And just, there's some level of dorkiness to this that is genuinely charming, but it's like, okay, so my reference to this show is, I, I'm not that big of a fan of Avon Kelly. I, I am tangentially aware of it. I've seen a couple of the rebuilds. I didn't grow up with it. It was not a real factor for me as a child or anime fan growing up. My reference to Gunbuster is Gurren Lagan. And let me fucking tell you, having seen Gurren Lagan and having loved... Gur- of Gu- Like, having seen Gurren Lagan, having really enjoyed Gunbuster... It is a straight line from how we get to Gunbuster to how we get to Gurn Lagan. Hardy, what was it you said about episode 5 in particular? Episode 5 is what made an 18-year-old Hiroyuki Imaishi fall in love and want to become a animator. Because he was 18 or 19 at the time episode 5 came out. And you can absolutely positively see the... Uh, the influence that it had on him when he was doing Gurren Lagann. Oh, that that DNA is there. It's incredible, and I, oh man, it's it's so cool to see that forward. Um, let me see if I can find a couple of fun facts about some of the behind the scenes stuff instead of just the uh, characters. I mm. can share with y'all. Um, okay. which I guess one of these could be a segue for another character actually. Specifically in relation to Torin Smith, not the character, the Texan, the real person, the Canadian. So in the Japanese version, courtesy of one Marissa Lenti, these notes come from. So in the Japanese version, there's occasionally an English voice mixed into the background chatter. That's Torin Smith, the Canadian manga translator who originally translated Gunbuster. To me, it gave the ship a very international vibe, like the entire world came together to fight the aliens instead of just Japan. And that's supported by there being American and Russian characters in the cast. So I took it a step further and gave random background extras accents, and some of the background chatter is actually not in English. There's Mandarin, Arabic, and Spanish mixed into the sound mix and the crew as well. And I think that's really goddamn cool and, like, adds that extra level of flavor and going above and beyond because i think sound cadence definitely adds the right level of vintage feel to this while also adding a lot of like modern sprinkles above and beyonds that i feel a studio like them really puts the puts their whole i don't want to say the word bussy but you know what oh my god don't don't and yet and yet here you are bringing it up so, Don't you, you baby TikTok man? Sound Cadence Studio puts their entire bussy into anime dubs. You're out of the team. Go sit in the corner. Look, look, that one's free. You're officially put, out of the dub talk podcast. Put, 
Put that one on the back of a Blu-ray. Put that one on a 4K Blu-ray. Just put it on there. Classy Spartan from Dub Talk, Soundcated Studio, puts their entire bussy into it. Look, I, I still think about the fact that, like, a comment from the fucking, uh, oh my god, what was the OVA that Coach of Sound did that was gay? Did? You're gonna have to narrow it down a little, buddy. Ugh. Yeah. Gigi, you were on it. Help me. What are you talking about? There is a comment <laughs> from an episode of a Coach's Sound dub that is on the Coach's Sound website as a comment from us. There is? There is. Really? Coach's... Was it for I Know Kusabi? It was I Know Kusabi. Thank you. I knew it. What? What? What is on their website? Seriously? <laughs> okay. Let me see if Somebody I Somebody go find it. You go find it and I'll talk about how awesome it is to have all the different languages and stuff in the background because that's such a cool detail that easily I'm sure is overlooked by a lot of people. Um, but I distinctly heard British people in the background of one of those ships. And I was like, I wrote down, who's that British guy? So I was like, and I knew it was there. I was like, the, the British are coming. They are there. I and just... I hear them. I just think that it's an interesting take of giving Smith Torin a Southern accent, despite the character based on him, the uh, the man based on him uh, being Canadian. How interesting would it have been to get Jason Lee Brick to make him a Canuck? Well, he, well, he's supposed to be he's supposed to be Texan in story. Ah, okay. Do, do you do you want to know how this came about? I yes, do actually, right? So I'm, I'm gonna, this story. is this is gonna get very sentimental in a minute. But so, um, how do I put this? You know, like anime and manga localization as we know it. I'm familiar with it. Yes. Yeah, Torn Smith was like the guy who started doing that, or one of them. Like he was in the '80s, going to Japan, um, like making deals. Here, I'm, so I so I actually find it kind of sad and heartwarming that there's this character here named after him. He unfortunately passed away in 2013. Mm -hmm. um, but to give you an idea, uh, his big thing was he founded a manga localization company called Studio Proteus, which existed from about like the mid-80s up until about 2004, where he basically saw the manga market crash coming and sold it to Dark Horse. Oh, wow. Here... Wow. Oh, you can find some comments. He has some choice comments about what he thinks about Tokyo Pop and their shitty, shitty quality. Like, he was not Ooh. a fan. Um, but uh, oh yes, the uh, the 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 clash between uh, Torin Smith and Stu Levy over flopping manga is yes. legendary. Yes, yeah, and that's uh, one of the, that's one of the few times I actually do agree with Stu Levy because he actually uh, was one of the few people who really pushed for unflopped, and that's continued to this day. The rest Stu Levy has done is completely gar garbage, but he did. Yeah, he but, did uh, have that one good point. Uh, to get, give you an idea, he started this company, Studio Proteus. Here's a short list of manga that Studio Proteus worked on. Akira. Appleseed. Oh, Blade wow. of the Immortal. Club Nine. Dominion. Domu. Ghost in the Shell. Gunsmith Cats. Lone Wolf and Cub. Nausicaa, the Valley of the Wind. Oh my goddess. What's Michael? You're under arrest. This, that is... This, so like this dude's this dude's kind of a big deal. 
but yes, it's like the '90s anime starter pack. Yeah, basically, here. like this, this dude, this dude, like literally, he was in Japan at a convention that was having an award show, and Appleseed won like the big award, and his thought is that is the first thing Studio Proteus is going to put out in English right now. I'm doing that. I'm making that happen because I'm here. Um, anyways, wow. he was living. He was living in Japan when this was being made, and he was baroque. He he had been reduced to shoplifting like cheap ramen from corner stores because he had zero money. And at this point, he was like, he was buddies with the Gynax guys because he'd go to conventions. He already knew them. And one of them was like, hey, we have like this shitty dorm we put our animators up in. Uh, do you want to like live there <laughs> so you don't wow. have to, you know, do this? Uh, so he started living there for a while. And I guess the animators, having an American, and you know, all right, he's Canadian, Canadian. but he's a white guy, like that'll work. Uh, they they basically, they, for a while, they would just come up to him with this character sheet and they would say, this is you. And he was like, he didn't really understand what they were getting at until the show was done, and then he realized that they just named a character after him, because I'm assuming he was the most white person everybody knew at the time. That's so funny, and the fact that he was just a Canadian, and they made him Texan, and he looks like he came out of fucking Trigun in the 90s, is just, mwah, incredible, great, brilliant stuff. And also, fucking God, Jason Ernesto Jason Lebrecht is fucking great. He 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 shows up and leaves such a strong impression, and it wow, genuinely I, is sad when he does get communed. I assumed he was gonna last longer. He he, he was so cool, and it's like wait, that and what's worse no. is he got off ons off screen. I know. I was like, he's gonna come back, right? Like nope. he's like he's gonna come back. I thought he was even going to have that. Uh, that thing that happened in, uh, oh, I don't know which one it actually was. I just know it happened in Robotech where the one guy, like, walked out of the pod and then they sat, they found blood in his, uh, cockpit. Oh, yeah. It... That's, uh, Roy Fokker. Thank you. Because mm -hmm. I don't, my history is that I watched Robotech in my third grade classroom. I, well, I've I watched the, STF I... Macross, so yeah. <laughs> but did you watch it in a school environment with your school teacher that was literally showing you this entire thing because he thought it was cool and he liked sci-fi shit? And you literally voted in your classroom who you thought the cannon ship was gonna be by the end of the show? And I guessed wrong because I thought he was gonna get with the idol chick? No! So shut the fuck up and sit your ass down. I have some credibility, too. A Andrew, Andrew, if you still know this guy, you should mail him a copy of Gunbuster. It sounds like he'd like it. He came oh my to my house once and got to, like, hang out with my dad and talk about sci-fi and, like, alternate history books. So, Amazing. like... He didn't last long. I think he was only there a year, and I think maybe threw a chair at a kid. That's sort of unrelated, but you know what? One of the more memorable teachers of my life. What a legend. Oh boy. Um, if it's anything that the Boondocks is telling us, it's if you throw a chair, chaos will happen. So It will. It will. Yeah. I loved Torin. I loved I loved Ernesto Jason Lebrecht as Torin. When I saw it, the, well, I watched like the first three episodes, like right when it came out. And so I'm on Twitter, as I normally am, going, is Torrin Smith Texan? And Lenti replied, he is Texan. And I was like, oh, I get it. 
I was like, why? I was like, why is he Texan? Oh, because he is. That's perfect. Uh, it, um, it is a quintessentially so American Japanese. It's it's like literally just a Japanese bunch of dorks making the most representative Texan-American thing, and they're like, let's go for a blonde Texan cowboy guy. But he sounds so good, though. And I just, like, when he disappeared, like, it broke me. And, like, this is the start of my downward spiral in this anime where I start crying every 14 seconds. Because, like, this is shoujo trash garbage 1,000%. This anime is not garbage. I say garbage in a loving, loving way. Don't misconstrue me, because I love it. I'm just like, oh, this, oh, shit's getting real. This is like, the level is of it. soap opera drama that you eat up, and it's full. Yes. It's in. It's it's nestled in between what is one of the most influential mecha anime of all time. And I think the reality of this situation, and I bring this up whenever you think about like the biggest influences of Berserk too. The biggest, like, genre influencers, they liked, like, that shoujo drama stuff, too. Because if Gunbuster was inspired... Because if Gunbusters was inspired by Aim for the Ace, like, a lot of what Berserk is as a franchise is owed to the Rose of Versailles. So, it's... So, yeah. It's so nice to just have it interspersed in an anime that so many people can enjoy, because... When you think about the shoujo genre, I mean, it's not lately, not very much loved at all by a, a ton of people. Like if you, I literally, I was talking to Steph and Megan the other day looking for titles on Crunchyroll and every single thing that's in their shoujo section, we've either already covered or doesn't have a dub or is extremely old and like 75 episodes. Uh, and I was like, wow, I can't believe that in the year of our Lord, 2023, like this is how the quote unquote shoujo genre is treated. But then you have to go back in history and you look at these things like Gunbuster and like Berserk and you say, oh, they're all inspired by shoujo, you know, shoujo of the greats, shoujo that's not even dubbed. You know, it's just I love that and I hate it at the same time, but it made me love Gunbuster um, and just with the writing, with the directing, and with the acting from all these people who had to go through all these dramatic and super dramatic points in this OVA. I mean, it's literally like a roller coaster. Like one second, Chula is yelling, Inazuma kick, and you can hear the crackle in her voice. And I'm just like, oh my God, are you going to survive this session? Because it just sounds so painful and so passionate and so good and then in the next one she's crying and then melissa is crying because of something coach said and then coach is like getting all oh i don't want to get to this point yet but we'll get there before this episode is over he's getting all like stern and like trying to bring his lessons out that hard work and guts are really what matter and it's just so passionate like everything about this is so passionate and that's what i love in a dub and in anime as a whole but definitely in a dub when you can tell just how much everyone wants to be there through their performances like it's just it makes me so happy to be able to listen to something like that 
Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is, Soundcaden Studios, you guys should do a shoujo dub. That should be your next project. Dub dear brother. Yeah. Oh my god, stop! I don't even. I, I don't even know if, I don't even know if Discotech has the license. That was like a literal year and done. But it is out of print now. Yeah. But, yeah. That's. Oh god. I, I remember. I, I got my copy. I, I didn't even intend to watch it, but I still got a copy. So same here. Yay! So yeah, you should watch it. It's really good. So before we get more into a couple of the main characters, I got one of two fun facts, or I could give you both. But which one do you want first? The one involving the Spike Spencer, or the one involving Justin Briner? What? Both. Okay, but which one do you want first? You pick. Okay, so I'm going to start with Spike's first, because the other one's funnier. Uh, so, Spike Spencer is this random dude who shows up at the beginning of episode 6, when uh, Cosme is going on the airlift, saying that it's maybe time to give up and let the aliens win. It's an obvious homage, because Spike Spencer's Shinji Ikari from Evangelion. But also, hilariously, this character comes from the Australian base, and Spike was either in Australia or had just moved out when he recorded Gunbusters. Huh. That's funny. Yeah. Nice. And the other fun one is uh, apparently Justin Briner has a really good Richard Nixon voice that he got to use in this dub. Amazing. <laughs> in episode five, Justin Briner voiced the vice minister, who I thought looked an awful lot like Richard Nixon, so I had him do his impression. It's the second time he's done that in a sound cadence dub, the first being Thermai Romai. Oh. Well, now I gotta watch Thermai Romai. You should. So, yeah, those are some fun facts about that I want to throw in. But there's some other stuff about characters and all that, including the voices. But uh, but I guess before we get to... Like, there's like three main characters that like we really need to go to. So, uh, literally just look at this cast. Who have we not talked about? We've talked about how much I think Alexandra's really good and how fucking hot that character is. Good lord. Mm. Yeah. Uh, uh, we know we know that uh, Noriko's dad has about two different scenes. Yes, uh, I wanted to add Brett Weaver because Brett Weaver is really good, and we don't get to talk about him enough. But goddamn it, he's really good as Captain Takia. I uh, mm. I I found out listening to the commentary that apparently when um when uh, Hideki Anno was offered this, he read like the script for the first episode, and it's like oh, this is fine, I guess. Um, and then when he got for the script of the second one, that's when he got excited. And I was like, was it the scene where the, the captain is just sitting in his ship, watching that two-second blip of his daughter, hoping he'll be home for her birthday? Yeah. just going, sorry, Noriko. Just waiting to die. <laughs> and then and then Otto's like, yeah, 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 yeah. It, Look, you know what it is? It, Otto it, saw it, that. It, Otto saw this man crying basically realizing his fate is over as he watches like his daughter's voice hoping he'll come home and it's just that image of sickos just being like ha 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 yes yes i I like i like this show because it starts out with about like 25 minutes of being very very fluffy and then immediately starts getting very like no no this is this is it's a sports anime, but the sport is intergalactic war. The show starts on them doing, like, gym stuff in their mechs. They're doing squats in mechs. They're running in mechs. They're doing the tires tied to them in mechs. I'm like, this is hilarious. This is great. But it's 
awesome because it's like a sports anime and mean girls all in one and our og mean girl reiko you know oh my what, god you know what yeah There's let's so talk about reiko that girl's She's a, so good reiko's a bitch but you know what like god crystal's got some damn good like screeches in that fucking duel it's good did you stuff. hear that evil laugh though oh yeah the evil laugh is what got me i was like damn crystal we need we need go we, we need more shoujo anime in general but we need one so that we can crash crystal as someone who just ojo laughs no wait we should read up we should fucking read up utan and have her play the shitty blonde lady Ooh, that's she some galaxy. All the time. She'd be great. Ooh, that now, Ooh. now you're thinking with power, my friend. Um, <laughs> any other ones to mention? Uh, I mentioned. Oh, the... let's talk about Reiko in the last episode. Yes, yes. Because that now she sounds like a completely different actress. Yeah, yes. ma- major props to like. I think we briefly mentioned like Lisa Ortiz sounding like a '90s like peppy like anime character, and then growing up to be a much more textured like mature mother and s- sounding seamless. Reiko's got that too, where she sounds like a mean bitchy anime a girl, but then she's like a much older like mellowed the fuck out like principal. And, like, you hear it in her conversation with, like, Amino, and it's, it's like, a few lines, but it's it's pretty striking. Yeah, I almost mistook her for Rachel Robertson at first. Oh, wow. Wow, that's big props, actually, because, like, Rachel Robertson is, like, one of, like, the most distinct, like, deep-voiced, like, women in voice acting. So that's, that's high praise. That's high praise. Uh, mm-hmm. Other ones to talk about, uh... Lisa Ortiz is great as both plucky friend and also, like, MILF. Um, oh, also her daughter is Christina V. I thought that was neat. Yeah, that was cute. I liked I liked that. Cool. Um, Bill Jenkins! Bill Jenkins! Yeah, Bill Jenkins, who all now I can hear is him talking about the One Piece on a spaceship. I kind of adore Bill Jenkins' voice. He has a great great like space captain voice i love how like he sounds kind of like a jovial guy who's like maybe like a little laid back but like when push comes to shove like he's willing to throw down and face down for humanity's sake and like i kind of adore like how i i adore him and like his uh like vice captain who is played by xander mobis in the last episode where it's basically just like do you believe in god no sir i do not well i'll be honest with you the fact that we are here right now is what makes me believe and i'm willing to believe and bet my life on those miracles i want him to be my granddad he's got good granddad energy bill jenkins has great granddad energy not only that he has perfect like maybe it's just because i am very associated to him as a narrator in one piece this is the man you want reading the phone book (laughs) and you know what yeah like bill's bill's a great talent but like i don't get to hear him in a lot of character stuff so seeing him get to play a pretty big character in this, and one that actually left a pretty big impact by the end of the series, like, I I really like Bill and think he's absolutely incredible voice in this. I did like that. When you said Brett Weaver, I did want to touch on one thing, like the two lines that he had in episode two. 
And like the the one note I wrote down was that I think the juxtaposition between him saving Coach and then him saying he was sorry to his daughter because he basically just sacrificed himself to let Coach live. Like I don't I don't like that juxtaposition there. Like something about it felt extremely off to me. Like, I don't know, like, which one was sincere and which one wasn't. Like, I just didn't, I couldn't differentiate it. But then when there was the flashback where he was coming home for Noriko's birthday when she was like a baby, when he actually came home, I was like, okay, there's the great dad energy. But at the beginning, it was just like, you know, I lived my life. And then he was like, I'm sorry, Noriko. I'm like, but did you live your life? Or do you still want to stay because of Noriko? Like, which is it? Which is, which is it? I don't know. He, I think he made the sacrifice because there was only one spot left and Ota had his whole life ahead of him. So, you know, save the young yeah. man. I, 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 I get I it, yeah. I know. I know why he did it. I just couldn't hear, like... I feel bad if he was lying to the coach... <laughs> And then, like, Noriko was a sincere one. But then at the same time, I'm like, was he actually just, like, being straight with the coach and, like, kind of lying to himself and lying to Noriko? I don't know. That's my one That's my one thing that I wrote down. Other than he had good dad energy in the flashback. I just... I, I wish we could have gotten to know that character a little more other than he's here, he's gone. This, this... Noriko is is devastated this feels like a series that you could tell like if they got like a 50 60 episode run they probably could have but i simultaneously recognize if this was like 50 or 60 episodes long i'm not quite sure it would have been as influential because i almost feel like what if it had been 50 or 60 episodes long the animation would not have been as stellar as it is. Uh, that's In it. In fact, it's all, it was already under budget to begin with, which was why episode six was, is in black and white and why the big space battle is consists of, of, uh, of, um, it's pencils. It's just pencil drawing sketches and orchestra it's storyboard. It's storyboard art and still frames. That's it. I didn't even I didn't even realize the black and white thing was because of budget. That's no, no, no. That that's that's the thing. That that was a stylistic choice. Animating black and white on color film is actually more expensive than if they'd done it in color. Oh that was, no that was, way! So look, look. I I highly recommend the Jonathan Clements commentary because he talks a lot about how this takes a lot of influence from like what Japan was like during the Second World War and movies that were made and set during that time, and part of that is, like, war is in black and white. And that's part of the reason why the last episode's in black and white. That? You huh. know what? Yeah, I get to... I do, I oh. do think the pencil sketch thing is partially to help, like... Oh, Come that... on, we gotta get to 27 minutes. We gotta... <laughs> we gotta do it. But also, we... I get the feeling the alien designs are so intricate that I think they kind of, like, fuck themselves in a corner where they're like... Oh. We have to animate wait, these now? No, wait, wait, I have a better one. Right, so, so Gunbuster is a transformation sequence, right? Yeah. And the reason that mech anime do that is because that gives you, like, 30 seconds of footage you can reuse in other episodes, right? 
Yeah, across, that makes across sense. like yeah. fifty episodes, you can give yourself like half an episode of free footage. But as Anno has noted in interviews, yeah, we did that, but we only used it the one time, so <laughs> we didn't <Yeah>. save shit. <laughs> So yeah, you're telling me you... one of the most influential things of all time, the cool combining gun sequence, was just like, oh yeah, we were just showing off. I, look, that's funny. What's funny to What's funny to me is that this OVA, which has influenced so many of the big mecha anime that come after it, for all, despite across all its six episodes, it really doesn't have a whole lot of robot fights yeah yay <laughs> yeah, it's just not till, you, we don't even see the titular robot in full motion until the second to last episode uh, it tech okay technically it comes in in episode four but by then that's it's like not finished. more it's not finished but by then it's still more than halfway through when you finally see the gunbuster. yeah yeah i mean i'm okay with that that's <laughs> fine with me i like i like my we're, we're not shoujo time. I think you're misunderstanding. Hardy's not saying that's a problem. He's just saying that's kind of fascinating oh, that like the ripple effect this had is kind of like it's kind of like when you remember that like Silence of the Lambs happened and like how much Anthony Hopkins is remembered when he's in barely 20 minutes of that movie. <laughs> kind of like that. Seen Silence of the Lambs. I know. Who is this girl? <laughs> uh, no. You know, I have a- you are exactly who I think you are, but that means we love you. I mean, there have there are robot fights in the series up to episode five, but just remember the big space battle they had in Torin's episode. Uh, it focused mainly mainly on Noriko's point of view. Torin gets killed off screen, and then we see the aftermath of all the other fighters who got injured, and that's it. We didn't see barely any of the actual fight. The actual, like, implication, I think, is what's more damning than, like, if you showed it, which is fascinating to me. You see, see, the thing about Gunbusters, like, on other mech anime, it's about the characters. Yeah. Oh my gosh, shut the fuck up! It is! Don't be haters. Don't be haters. You don't have to see it. Ugh. The funniest thing is I see, I literally can just see the shit-eating grim on Amon right now. Both Amon and his fucking, like, uh, Pochita PFP right now. Please please send your hate mail to hahasuckers at amonduel.com. You fuck, congratulations, you played yourself. Look, the only reason I watched Gundam Wing was because it was about somebody's fucking birthday party, so... Let's not even go there. Does he? Does he even kill her? If not, what's the point? Oh my god! Um, Another (laughs) thing I wanted is sorry. Go ahead. Speaking of characters, I think we have three left. We do. Yeah. We do. Oh, um, Um, before we go, I want Andrew. um, You would you would not want this to be a fifty episode anime because that would mean it would have to be on TV, and that means you wouldn't be able to see young Freud's boobs. And would you want that? Is that the version you know of Gunbuster what? you don't watch? You know what? You're right. Because this is the power. This is the power of OVAs in the '80s. They are better animated. You can do a next episode where it's like we don't have a script ready. Here's some storyboards. See you in a bit. Bye. And also the tits are just out of plenty. Yeah, but. And, but- yeah. Uh, between this and watching Wicked City earlier, I was like, man, anime used to have a lot more nudity in it. 
Even the Ichi ones, the ones that are centered around, like, sex appeal and titillation, it's like, they'll still gotta go on TV, so you can't really get a nipple. Yeah. Anyways, we, were, we had characters to talk about, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yeah, okay, well, Andrew's in his simp corner. I oh, guess now it's oh, time. oh, don't act like you're about to go into your simp corner for Ota. I am. I am. It's that time. I'm sorry, Bradley. I know you're probably listening to this right now. Love your face in a very platonic way. This is how dub talk works. Why is the coach the fucking greatest thing ever? You know what, Gigi? I'm talking about how hot young young Freud is. Uh, tell me how hot the coach is. Oh my god. Oh my god. Like... When I watched it in Japanese, I had the same thing. And I was just like, why is he the best? The actual best character in any anime ever to ever anime. And then so- he just gets better and better. Um, so there is a part either right... I think it's at the beginning of episode three where they needed to stretch for time. And they have a bunch of like science facts over... Um, Wait, that was part of the episode? Yeah. 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 They have Coach and um, what's her name? Oh, I call her Ojo-sama all the time. Uh, Amino. Yeah. Amino. Yeah. Kazumi. Sorry. They have Coach and Kazumi like singing this duet, like this love song duet. And it's them singing. It's it's Bradley and Melissa singing. And it's very good. It's a very pretty song. Yeah. I was very happy about that because y'all know I have the accent thing and I have the singing thing and it's sometimes it's very hard to get good singing in an anime and they did it and I was so proud of them and I was like, yes, it's so good. I love it so much. And that was funny because they were stretching for time and it's like, here's what happened. And then they just threw in a bunch of science jargon over that overlaid. But it's such a cute character moment. As I... I learned this. That's a real pop song from like the late eighties. Oh, so really? that's, yeah, that, so that, that's that, like that is a that is a real pre-existing pop song and part of the conceit. You know, the unspoken conceit there is now like you know, thirty forty years in the future. This is like a golden oldie that maybe say two people with feelings for each other might sing at uh, staff karaoke night. <laughs> wink, wink. Oh, that's cute. It's beautiful. It was so good. So before we go too into Bradley, I want to at least. I got fun facts for all of these last three characters. I at least wanted to throw in those stuff I got about Coach in particular. Perfect. Please do. This Coach was the hardest character to the cast. Or specific... Wow. Words. No, no, those were words. Coach was the hardest character and the most debated character to cast. Specifically because the Coach has no canon age given... And he is also one of the most iconic voice actors of all time, but also one who sounds very gruff and, like, he's pretty old now mm-hmm. at this point. He's Norio Wakamoto. He is Norio Wakamoto. So there's this, le- there's this basically, I think the big concern was if he sounded too old, he was going to come off as creepy for when he finally got Mary's Kazumi. But... They were also concerned if he sounded too young, he wouldn't have the right level of, like, power and, like, stage presence that, like, Norio Wakamoto did. So it took a couple of callbacks, but then they landed on Bradley, and you know what? They nailed it. They nailed it. 
Because Bradley's Garrus voice is kind of like... Because you look at Coach, I basically am of the opinion he's not 21, but he's not 30 either. He's like 26 to 20... I was going to say 26, 28, personally, but... I could see 24, 25 as well. Basically in between the spectrum of 21 to 30. But he also needed to have strength, authority, and gravitas to his voice. And my god, Bradley's got that in spades. He's the right level of drill sergeant who is not go- who is not going to shy away from having you push yourself with hard work and guts. But he's also got a, like a lot of strength, fears, regrets... And, like, you also see him with what I can only describe as, like, wounded animal syndrome. Which, when he knows he's dying, his immediate first thought is, will wallow away in the corner, push away everybody I know and care about so that they give up on me, and then just die alone in a ditch. I didn't get that at all. Are you sure? Because that, that seems yeah. very clear to me. What no. he was trying to do, that he was trying what to push he, her away. What he wanted to do was to make sure that Noriko and Kazumi got in the robots one last time to save humanity. Because you damn know that Kazumi, once you know she 1000% knew that he was sick, was going to stay home to be with him. I, which I is think- why she doesn't go into space the second time in episode six, which is why Noriko goes with Yoon. I think that and is... Kazumi stays home and gets married to him. And then, like, age is, like, 15 years. Which, yeah. that, that is true, but, like, that was... Spe- okay, let me... It's more like how I anticipated, like, his delivery and his, his, like, anger and vitriol in those moments was that of, like, a wounded animal that doesn't want people to know that, like, he's going to bleed out. Like, that's that's, like, that level of, like, vitriol. He's not doing it... Because, like, he suddenly hates them. He's putting on the bravado and fake act because he knows his time's coming. But also at the same time, just, like, those training sequences and those moments in the war room. He's got... He has genuine charisma, strength in the way he delivers his lines... And it has so much conviction, while also being very goofy and silly, where he's being like, raw, hard work and guts, raw, raw, raw. Like a cartoon character. I love how his head's three times the size of Noriko's chibi body. I mean, there's nothing I like more than, like, a commandeering army man. But there's this part in episode five when he's talking to Noriko and... Bradley has this crack in his voice in this one line when he's asking her to not tell Kazumi that he's sick. And that was, that was like just that little crack. I fucking lost it. That's when I start crying. Cause I'm like, Oh my God, he loves her. Like you could just tell like in that one line when the whole rest of the time, which is why I said before, like in the dub, it's never specifically said that the two of them like each other at all. Like, in even any little hint of it isn't there. Like, in specific 100% canon. So, like, when you got to the end, and even when I watched it in Japanese the first time, I still was like, oh, my God. Like, what is happening? Like, this is great. So, like, just that element of surprise, because Coach is so kind of, like, 
I don't want to say stoic, but he's very commandeering and he's very like one, one, um, he is strict in that sense where it's like, he is not the type, he is basically, if he gives you a head pat, that means, wow, you're getting a lot of affection. Yeah, it's, uh, Bradley does such a good job. I can't even, like. Yo, yeah, no, yeah, no. It's. Mm. Yeah, he uh he competed a few times in the manliness tournaments on the Funimation forum. So, yeah, Bradley Gareth, wow, good for him. No, no, Coach, <laughs> Coach Ota. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah, I can see it. He he's got he's got that going for him. And uh, you know who's also a cool oh, lady? Wait, and I, also, sorry, what are you saying? Uh, Br- Bradley's really good, and I'm really mad to find out that he's noticeably younger than I am. <laughs> He's like twenty six. It's like twice. He, he does baby. not. This is like this is like when I find out that um, what's his name Cunningham that does all the super giant voiceover games was like a couple years older than me. It's like no, you sound sixty. That can't be true. This dude, like, he sounds way. He sounds like he's way more bass and grabby tusk than a dude who was like born in the nineties. Like, good fucking job, man. Yeah, I met him at a con, and I was like, oh. That does not match this. And I was like, that is awesome. Like, what talent. <laughs> I know. Good for him. You are not a skeleton in name only anymore, my friend. Have fun with that. But I will also give credits to uh, Kazuki Amano, who is... Uh, Melissa Sturdenberg is a very interesting casting choice for this character. And I gotta say... She is excellent. I think She's very one, good. I think one of the fun facts I was adding about this one is that uh, she's probably been, like, in some of the earliest Sound Cadence stubs, notably, like, both Rio Rainbow Gate and Beat X, which were some of Sound Cadence Studios' earliest projects. And I know Marissa Lenti was saying that, to me... Marissa, Melissa sounds like she matches the vibes of older shows perfectly. Like, she sounds like somebody that was super famous in the 80s is the way her particular voice sounds. Kind of like a like 80s, 90s starlet. The thing I get from her voice is she has very strong Kira Buckland vibes going on. In fact, I almost mistook her for her. Interesting. Uh, interesting. I can I can almost kind of see it. I, w- I was just curious where, where you got that in particular. Because I think she sounds kind of, she has the same uh, speech patterns and even kind of sounds like Kira Buckland. All right, fair enough. But no, uh, Amino is a very fun character. Like you can tell, she's got a lot of strength. She's got a lot of conviction in her voice, but also like a lot of vulnerability and uncertainty. Like you can tell, she doesn't want to bury a girl who is very uh, out of her element, out of her depths who's not really ready and prepared for an environment like space. But also, it's not because she's a bitch and she's like, no, she's going to get closer to coach than I am. It's, no, I don't want this young girl to die in a war zone. Well, and I think she has such a complicated character arc also, because at the beginning, you're introduced to her like she's royalty. So then Melissa has to do like the Ojo-sama, but while still being very approachable because everyone loves her. So then it's like the One-sama and you get little hints of both in there. But then like it goes into the, okay, you know, 
please coach, make sure that you're making the right choice with Noriko because I'm going to have to work with her for however long. And I don't, you know, I don't know if this is it. So she has to kind of be forceful with that. And then with her feelings for coach. And then like Melissa kind of takes me on this roller coaster ride, which I didn't get as much when I listened to the Japanese, but I got it here and I really like it. I think the most like, the thing that I never really understood in the juxtaposition between like the time skip between episode five and episode six was why all of a sudden does Kazumi like Noriko and miss Noriko so much in the span of 15 years when I thought she didn't even really like her all that much throughout the rest of the anime. And that became a um, lot more clear to you in the dub. Yes, for sure. So I think like she helped that progression go along so that when Kazumi was like, oh my God, Noriko, I missed you so much. And Noriko's looking at her like, who the hell is this girl? Like, oh God, it's my old best friend. Like, you know, 15 years makes a difference on her, but it was only like six months. And also you know, Melissa- I think the dub helped that along. And also Melissa does the time skip thing almost effortlessly. It sounds yes. very different it too. It's cool. What? One of my main, not really complaints, but one of my criticisms was that when she was voicing 15-year-old uh, Kazumi, uh, Melissa sounded a bit too, maybe a little bit too old. But when she was voicing 30-year-old Kazumi, it just sounded much more, much better suited. Mm. I agree. It's I agree with that. But, no, like, Melissa's got a very strong voice to her, and, no, she's got some great moments, especially in, like, episode 5 and episode 6, which, yeah, episode, no, I was... Episode 5 was straight up a prototype Gurren Lagann. You cannot convince me otherwise. He, oh, uh, I'm here with you, and I, that's kind of why M. I, I love Ishi it. Saw that, M. Aishi saw that when he was 18 years old, his nuts dropped. So. <laughs> Yeah, He's like, I know what I want to do with my life now. Yeah, that's. Oh no, you're right, and you should say it. It occurs. It, occur, it occurs mm. to me that it's a little funny that Imaishi did not. I mean, I just I, I can figure why, but he was not the guy tapped to direct the Gunbuster sequel. That's yeah. true. Question: mm -hmm. Does who has the rights to Die Buster? No, at the moment, no I one. Think... Discotech used to have it, but that shit is extremely out of print. Hi, folks. This is Amon from. After we recorded the episode, but before it came out, uh, turns out I was in fact wrong. Die Buster is currently streaming in full on Crunchyroll, so you can in fact watch it there. I assume Discotech is the one who get who uh, they have it through, but I'm not 100% sure. But you can in fact watch it, so watch it there. Sentai does have the weird uh, Gunbuster Die Buster compilation movie, though. <laughs> it was so wild to discover that Sentai re-released a sub-only Gunbuster the movie, and it's like. Man, licensing's fucked sometimes, isn't it? Shit, yeah, uh, but it's, shit's weird. It's different. It's different. Um, but, it's not as good. <laughs> that's fair. I, I, but, I, I, I feel like compressing this down to half of what I'm assuming is a two-hour movie probably makes for a interesting watch experience. But, let's, be, let's be generous yeah. and say interesting. We got I, it sitting on the shelf. It's still in the shrink wrap. <laughs> Um, my, I will my, say my, this. Mine is not, because I opened it thinking it was my copy of the OVA collection by accident. <laughs> so, I have a question for you. Gigi, I feel like you might say 
that the coach is your favorite performance in your in this dub? Or is it who I'm going to talk about next? Is my next question. Uh tie. Tie. Okay. Well, I will make the bold proclamation and say, uh, Chula is bar none the best performance in this entire dub, and it is a tour to the force from the beginning to end. Oh my god. This woman can scream. <laughs> That's for damn sure. Like, she can fucking scream. Oh my god. I have one last fun fact from Director San themselves about uh, Chula as Noriko in particular. I felt that if English Noriko was going to come off as super annoying and hard to like, like, that would just be what default anime girl would sound like. And I don't think it would have worked. It was important that her voice actress had a unique voice with an immediately likable quality, and Chula is just likable when you talk to her. She has the inherent sweetness to her voice that is almost impossible to fake. And secondly, she can fucking scream. I'm not exaggerating when I say I've never met another female voice actress who could scream the way Chula can despite being like five foot nothing. Oh my gosh. And yeah, like, there's a lot. She's this very charming, likable, little peppy character at the start. But then you see her dealing with what is basically war-torn trauma like genuine trauma the realization that like she's all her dad's coffin she got to go out in space after the guy she started crushing on was died miserably because she couldn't act like literally screaming having post-traumatic stress but then also stepping up because if i don't step up who will and man the fucking battle screams and foley's it's so cool. It's so cool. When she does the kick, when she does the gunbuster beam, when she rips her shirt off and reveals her tip, why did she do that? I don't get it, but it's cool. <laughs> I don't get why she rips her shirt off. Like, the mech does the thing where it rips off its chest, so I guess she's like, I'm gonna rip my shirt off too because I'm so in the zone right now, which was extremely silly, but also really cool. And that's kind of mech anime in a nutshell in the 80s. Extremely silly, but extremely cool. There are, there are two reasons, Andrew. One, it looks... One's pretty obvious. One, it looks rad. Two, apparently Anno had a lot of things about how breasts in anime were usually very badly animated. Is that why all the breasts are boobing bouncily in the entirety of the show? Acor- according to Jonathan Andrew? Clement's commentary, he has noted at some point, I, this might have been at the time, that one of his gripes is that all breasts in anime look the same, and they all move in the same way, and he wanted vaguely realistic, he wanted realistic, like, breast physics, basically. Because he thought I the other one was, like, born. Like, I'll be honest, given what I know about young Anno, it's like, yeah, you're kind of a crazy person when you're younger, this sounds about right. That sounds about right. And you're so... Like, and so Gynaxing was born. That it, so much. that that is literally what Gynax is, just the breast bouncing boobily. Yes, that's Gynax. Well, and the the robot ripped his heart out and put it in the the alien thing. Yeah, no, that and whatever that sh- he put it in. Look, look, he look, his heart look. Out. We kid, but that shit is metal as hell. It's like, so cool, and also like God, fucking Noriko is so cool. Like, honestly, Chula's 
absolutely like the standout. She is charming. She is sweet. She gets to wear her heart on her sleeve, and you get to see all of that heartbreak, but also see her like build herself back up again. And God, when she gets to do the pose and stuff, it's so cool and fucking. Oh my God, Chula! Welcome to Dub Talk. I want to hear you in more <laughs> things. Stat. He did it. I like poor poor Noiko and poor Chula, who has to be in pain for 80% of her dialogue and I was just like oh my god she's so sad oh my god she's so sad she's crying she's so sad how do you do it but like Lenti is right like if we hadn't set up already like how charming Chula sounds as Noriko like I would have been really like I don't care that Noriko's sad like Noriko said oh well go back to the coach like, I wouldn't care. But because the voice is so heartbreaking, and then when she does the attack screaming, and when she's in the robot, and she, like, there's one point where she literally, like, shakes off all her pain, and then goes straight into, I'm going to save the world today. And I was like, if you were anybody else, I wouldn't believe you, but Chula, you got this. So I'm like, please, save the universe, you know? Just make it save the girls, save the world. Save the cheerleaders, save the world. Is that how that reference goes? That, that is save what the cheerleaders, save the world. Yes. Thank you. I'm glad somebody else got that. Um, but yeah, it was so good. Anyways, so you could good say this. you could say it's that king shit. I don't get it. Okay. <laughs> Her last name is King. Oh my god. Oh my god. Uh, oh, corner. you have. Oh, Oh, you have all let me down tonight. Oh, good lord. Alright. Um, I have one question about the story sure. of Gunbusters. Hold, hold on one second. Hardy and Amon, do you have anything to say about Chula? Chula? I think you Chula, guys Chula, pretty Chula, much covered it. Chula fucking rocks. Give her more loud anime women to play. She's great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, yeah, fucking, I want to see this woman more things. Holy shit, she's so good. Alright, yes, my child, what is your question? And then we'll move on to the final science lesson. So, like, do you think they created a religion doing what they did at the end of Gunbuster? No. No. No, 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 the, uh, the, I think the kid, so, so they're, what is it? I think the the conceit is just like their sacrifice was so immense that even twelve thousand years in the future, people still remember who they are and what they did. Okay, and when see, they, and when the they ex- see the gumbuster floating in space, they're like, "They did it. They survived." You know what? That is a very like genuinely optimistic read on that kind of thing, and I I do believe that is what they are going for. That that is in fact. The hope of humanity, the legend of Gunbuster, and what Noriko and Amino did has survived and lasted 12,000 years later. That, like, the welcome back is genuinely emotional and charming. It, Even with the backwards letter, like, that's great. The, that's the, good I'll, shit. I'll be, that I'll, is great. I'll be honest, the fact that they're so far in the future that, like, 21st century Japanese is not really a thing anymore and they kind of fucked up the sign is, like, that kind of makes it better. That's yeah, a, oh, I didn't charming. even think about that. But that's a charming. That is genuinely charming and great. 
my brain just sees that, and I'm just imagining, like, as mythical a divine being coming down and landing in the world 12,000 years later, and the first thing they do is ask, Hey, you guys got any more Sailor Moon? Like, that's just a funny image. That was the best. I loved that so much, with the little Sailor Moon outfit at the end. The, the, the best. What were you wearing just now? <laughs> I, I, look, I don't gag. I don't I don't want to take away from like the actual dramatic gravitas of any of the rest of her performance, but that might have been my favorite line Melissa has. She's just like Did I just see what I thought I saw? <laughs> oh, it was so funny. It's, and like it's just it's that one moment of like in in universe recognition of like, ah yes, my co pilot is a giant nerd. This distresses me a little bit, but oh well. Dude, do you know how many Ghibli movies she's going to get to watch now? Like, good for Noriko. <laughs> how many lead singers of Van Halen she's going to get to listen to? Mm-hmm. She's going to hear an entire family tree of Van Halen. It's going to be she, great. She is actually going to be able to play Half-Life 3. Hardy, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's not get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> All right, fam. Well, that about sums it up for our reviews of Gunbuster and its brand new year English... twelve thousand. Yes, in our brand new English dub. Um, in the year twelve thousand. Sayonara, Excelion. I guess. Oh, that was such a good line. That was a good choice. That was a good writing choice there. I loved that a lot. Hey, um, this is a good dub. It's really great dub. Loved it. Loved the source material. Loved the dub even more. So glad I, it happened in my lifetime and didn't take another twenty some years. My uh, my understanding is it was thought that the uh, the reason this didn't get a dub previously is that it was thought the music and effects tracks were just lost. Uh, and as far as I can tell, I think that was that was known to be true up until that Gunbuster Diebuster compilation movie came out. Um, and then they're like, "Oh shit, it exists after all." Yeah, pretty much. So, like, I'm just, I'm happy this is here. This is so good. It's great. Yeah, you people do not understand if music, old music and effects tracks being lost does kill potentials for a dub. Dead, a, a, lo- a lot of old shit does not get dubbed simply because, like, okay, to dub this, you're gonna have to redo everything that's not the voices. Yeah, that. Yeah, no, no. There's yeah, no money in this. That. Like, th- like, there was a movie that Discotech put out, like, a few years ago where, like, we really wanted to dub this. That track is so fucking gone. But <sighs> if it fits, it sits, and I'm glad Discotech ponied up the money for it. Hell yeah. Bam. No, oh, yeah, this is dope. This is good. This, 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 a series made by, like, obsessive weirdos and dorks was physically released and dubbed by a bunch of obsessive weirdos and dorks. And you know what? Gunbuster. Aim for the dorks. You hit, you shot for the stars, and you hit the nail on the head. I think that was meant to be affectionate. I'm not sure if it came out as such. I, I would hope so. Mm-hmm. Well, fam, if if you'd like to be affectionate towards Gunbuster, you can buy it, because it's not streaming dubbed anywhere quite yet. Hi again, this is Amon from again, after we were done recording, but before the episode came out. Uh, like, during the middle of editing, uh, Gunbuster was added to Crunchyroll with the dub, so you can also watch it there now. Uh, so now you have no excuse to not watch it, so, you know, go, watch, 
You don't even need to finish the episode. Just go watch it. It'll be good for you. Uh, you can buy it on Blu-ray from Disco Tech Media, wherever you buy your anime Blu-rays. Right stuff, Amazon. If you find it, you could probably find it like $20, $30. Not even that if you get it's a good cheap. sale. It's cheap. It's worth the money. Just do it. Um, and if you want to find us other places, you can find us on uh, Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, wherever and blue sky we have blue sky now which we haven't started using because you know what we like the trash app it's kind of the one that's the most fun to use but we have the lifeboat now we have the lifeboat and that's what counts youtube at dub talk podcast find us there uh if you would like to ever so kindly donate money to our piggy banks uh we do have a ko-fi account and we also have a patreon and once a quarter the patreons get to pick the episode and you could have your own episode like this one which i will probably be on because you know that's all i do um but anyway special thank you to our patrons right now at the five dollar tier we have megan's mom and dad michelle travis and victor maybarada and at the ten dollar tier we have anthony brown carly lestikow quinoa soup marissa lenti and otaku anthony thank you guys so much for supporting our craziness and our fun times that we had uh watching gunbuster and doing all these fun things if you want to hang out with us some more, my name is Gigi. You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at Anime Palooza, where I don't post a lot because I'm super busy, but you know, I'm trying to aim for the top, aim for the ace, and all that good shit. You can also follow my friends Andrew at Magaman9000, Hardy at Spaceman Hardy, and Amon at Amondul US. Amon, what was the thing about the music that you wanted to say before we end this show? So, when I do episodes, I like to do a dusty old song. And originally, what I wanted to do was the music for this show was done by a guy named Kohei Tanaka. Um, this was fairly early in his career. Now he's a big deal. Have you ever enjoyed the music in, say, Sakura Wars or Dirty Pair or One Piece? He did. Oh, shit. Yeah, he, he wrote We Are. He's like, <laughs> I think uh, technically like a couple people do the music for One Piece because it's very long, but he's one of the big dudes. Uh, and he worked on this. And he has done a couple of like actual like solo albums that aren't, you know, they're not just his score. They're like him performing. Um, but I had zero luck finding that anywhere. Like they're just old enough that I don't think they ever made it onto streaming services. And no one's even like ripped it and just uploaded it to YouTube. So non-starter. So instead, I decided to go with, um, this is a show made of references to things that are very beloved by the people who made them. Uh, so I decided to go for a reference that I spotted in the score. Uh, in, I think it's episode four, during one of the big fight scenes, there's a piece of music that is this very sort of martial, you know, rhythm to it. Uh, and I was like, hey, wait a minute, I recognize that. That's Mars Bringer War by Gustav Holtz. Because I know, like, five oh. classical music pieces, and one of them is Mars, because it sounds great. <laughs> um, I would give you a recommended recording, but frankly, uh, it's a classical music piece, and even though uh, Mars is relatively recent, it was written in, like, the 18, the 1910s, uh, there's still, like, dozens of them. I found one by, uh, let me see. It was by, I found one done by the London Philharmonic Chorus and Orchestra, directed, uh, conducted by Vladimir Horowitzki. That was pretty good. Uh, although nice. officially my favorite version is uh, anytime King Crimson tried to do it, uh, except when they tried to record it in studio and uh, Gustav Hulse's wife told them, 
absolutely not. What is with you rock bands <laughs> wanting to adapt my husband's work into songs? Stop it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, check that out. It's great. <laughs> Yay. Well, thank you guys all for listening. I hope you enjoyed us uh, talking about this intergalactic journey that we had. Um, and until next time, love your faces. Dos vidanya. Good night, everybody. And sayonara. Keep it manly. Rock over Boston, rock on Chicago. Inazuma! Kick! Oh, you just peaked the levels, my dude. <laughs> I'm probably gonna get I'm probably gonna get yelled at by Steph for being too loud, but you know what? Worth. Bye. Night. Bye. <laughs>